0: I'd love to introduce to you Mackenzie Casto. Mackenzie is the daughter of Brian and Amanda, uh, two of our members, two of our leaders. And Mackenzie is in the eighth grade, and you've gone to Bible Center School since you were how old? Kindergarten, so for nine years. For nine years. Awesome. Mackenzie uh, is part of the Fusion Band and is attending the Element program on Wednesday nights and Sunday morning. Uh, She's involved with a lot. We've asked Mackenzie to read the scriptures uh, before the sermon.
1: Good morning, everyone. Please turn in your Bibles or Bible apps to Romans 16, 17 through 20. Please stand with me for the reading of God's word. I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Avoid them, for such persons do not serve our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. And by smooth talk and their and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive. For your obedience is known to all, so that I rejoice over you. But I want you to be wise as to what is good and innocent, as to what is evil. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated.
0: Amen. Thank you, McKenzie. I want to begin by asking this morning, how many of you have ever had a surgery? Who would admit you've had surgery sometime in your life? Okay, many of us. If you've had surgery, you probably have a recovery room experience uh, somewhere along the way. You may even have a good story to tell. If you work in the hospital or if you've ever been with a family member in the recovery room, I'm sure you have a very good story to tell. I Googled this week the best recovery room stories. One of my favorites was the story about the guy who's waking up and he's trying to convince everybody that they're all floating on tiny little rainbows. Um, One of my friends was waking up in recovery room and before he was married, he began to tell his mother about all of his girlfriends and about all of their dates. Uh, Who knows what you'll say in recovery room? I received permission to tell this story. I don't tell very many stories on my wife, but she gave me permission to tell this one. After we moved back here to Charleston a few months ago, she had some surgery. And as she's waking up over here at the the surgical hospital, she knows that the medicine has a tendency to make her silly and she typically tip, typically tries to be rather reserved but she's just kept saying i hope it doesn't make me silly so before i even saw her they're wheeling her down the hall and i hear her at the top of her lungs as she's waking up trying to convince the nurse don't let me be silly don't let me be silly so I'm thinking, okay, honey, it's okay. Just calm down. We're not going to let you be silly. And, and she comes into the, the recovery area there, and I'm, I'm standing beside her. And then shortly after, they wheel a 14-year-old girl in beside her who is uh, recovering from gallbladder surgery. And she starts to wake up, and the girl starts to cry. My wife would never say this. Uh, but then she's still under, coming out of the sedation. She said, what a pansy. What a pansy. People are wondering, are you a pastor? I'm like, yes, yes, I'm a pastor. My name is Matt Santon, and I'm pastor of River Ridge Church here in Charleston. <laughs> recovering from surgery is a, can be a difficult task. And recovering from hard religion, really, or any kind of hurt or pain or abuse, can also be a difficult task. This week, you've continued to email and write, and some of you stopped by the office to share your stories and I have greatly appreciated your transparency and all that God has, is teaching you. We've struck a nerve. Uh, maybe it has something to do with our Appalachian culture. Maybe it's just uh, probably in all cultures in some form or fashion. Some of you shared stories about the typical Appalachian stories about women not being allowed to wear makeup or they weren't spiritual if they wore pants. Or some shared the story about not being allowed to go to the movies, but you were allowed to go to the video store. And our children don't even know what video stores are. One dear lady sent me this note, and she says, My mother was chastised regularly for working outside the home. As a school teacher, my father was a coal miner, often without work, and we would not have survived without my mother's income. But the church accused her of having little faith and shirking her duties as a wife and a mother because she worked. In order to pacify the church, she actually stopped teaching for a while, but ended up going back to work when we had to go on public assistance for food. She lost a few years of her retirement because of it. A man came into my office this week and shared a story about growing up being spanked repeatedly because he would get answers wrong on a test at school. Maybe your hurt is different, maybe it's physical, maybe it's emotional. Maybe it's some other form that's much worse. And so we come to this passage, the third of our series, and we're reminded that Paul says to watch out for those who cause divisions and avoid them. It's healthy for us to set up boundaries in our lives, to protect those and those that we love. But we remembered last week that Paul also says to let your obedience be made known to all. There comes a time where we just have to put the ball in the hoop. And do what God has called us to do and not worry about what others think. But this morning, Paul takes it to a, a whole nother level in the verse that we're going to look at. And in verse 20, Paul reminds us that there is a bigger picture. There is a bigger battlefield. There is a, a bigger perspective that he invites us to take to heal from hard religion. I invite you to follow along in your notes or on the app. We're going to look primarily this morning at Romans chapter 16 and verse 20. Verse 20, Paul writes, The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The God of Satan will soon crush Satan under your feet. If you're taking notes, number one, you can write, I have a bigger enemy. I have a bigger enemy. The first century church was having difficulty identifying their enemy. And that's the way Satan works. Uh, They thought that perhaps the government was their enemy, and certainly the persecution being invoked by the Roman government uh, would tempt them to think that. Uh, But Paul says, No, you've got a bigger enemy. The Roman church was beginning to think each other were their enemy. Satan was sowing these lies in their minds. And there were some in the church, like we said a few weeks ago, who, who felt that now they were under the new covenant of grace. They didn't need to circumcise their sons. And of course, the Jewish Christians, even though they believed in Christ, believed that you absolutely must circumcise your sons. It's the slippery slope towards legalism. As soon as you stop or towards a slippery slope towards liberalism, as soon as you stop circumcising your son, sons, they thought that you're going to throw away the, the law of Moses. You're going to throw out the baby with the bathwater. There were people in the church that felt like it was okay for them to enjoy wine as God's gift. And there were others in the church that said, no, 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 this is, this is not good. This is not right. And they were arguing at each other. And Satan was sowing these seeds of discord to the point they thought other people in the church were their enemies. And so Paul says, No, it's about the God of peace who will crush Satan under your feet. At the beginning of a message on Satan, it's probably healthy to begin uh, by mentioning that Paul doesn't talk about Satan until chapter 16. For 15 chapters, he virtually ignores Satan, uh, which is helpful for us to remember that Paul talked a lot in the book of Romans about the spiritual life. Uh, he may have had a reference to the devil in Romans eight thirty eight when he talks about fallen angels uh, who were trying to pull people away from the love of God. That could be a reference to Satan. But over and over again, Paul reminds us that many times in our lives, our problems are our own flesh. We don't have to blame the devil every time we make a poor choice. Uh, we have plenty in our own hearts that love to go our own way. But Paul doesn't want to finish the book without reminding us there is a bigger picture. There is a bigger battle at play. Peter does the same thing in 1 Peter 5.8 when he writes, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. I heard the story about a woman in a church that bragged that she could say something nice about anybody. Didn't matter who they were, she could say something nice. So the pastor one day decided that he was going to trip her up. He was going to see if, she, see if he could stump her. And so after the service, he said, Ma'am, I hear that you tell me, you, you, you say you can find something nice about everybody. And she said, Oh, yes, pastor, I can. And he says, I've got somebody you can't say one nice thing about. And she said, Who is that? He said, The devil. You can't say one nice thing about the devil And she thought for a minute, and then she said, Pastor, I I think you're wrong. I can say one nice thing about the devil. He's the most determined person I know. And that's so true, right? Satan seeks to devour us. Satan is after us. And so Paul invites us to zoom out. He invites the church to zoom out from their preferences and their their gossip and their back and forth and says, wait a minute, our enemy is not each other, our enemy is the devil himself. I have a bigger enemy. But he continues with this thought. In your notes, I've summarized it this way. How else can we heal from hard religion? Number two, remind yourself that Jesus won my victory. Jesus won my victory. Verse 20 again, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. In order to understand the Bible, We must read it like a story. Sure, it's filled with great quotes and great proverbs, but the Bible was intended to be understood in the context of story. 66 books, 40 different authors, over almost 2,000 years. And so in this little verse in verse 20, that's what Paul was reminding us of. The Bible is never intended to be a magical book that we open for incantations and we find just the right verse and we use that verse to prove some point that we want to get across on our agendas. But the Bible is much bigger. That's why context is always king. I encourage you to read, pick up a good book. If you're new to the faith, you'll love this book. It's about 100 pages or so, a little over 100 pages. Uh, If you've been a believer for years, you'll also love this book. It's about how to understand the entire Bible, God's big picture, tracing the storyline Of the Bible. Von Roberts is one of my favorite authors. I think you'll enjoy the book. In Romans 16:20, if you're taking notes, he's quoting a passage from Genesis. He's quoting Genesis 3:15. In Genesis 3:15, Moses wrote: I will put enmity between you and the woman. God speaking here, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. Paul quotes Moses almost word for word. Now what was Paul doing? In Romans 16, he was taking our minds all the way back to the book of Genesis to the fall of mankind. You have this creation story where God created the heavens and the earth. Everything was innocent. Everything was, in essence, perfect. It was experiencing peace, shalom, perfect. Uh, It was flourishing in the sight of God. But Adam and Eve chose to sin. And who tempted them to sin? According to Genesis 3, it was the serpent, the devil. Later, John identifies him with the serpent being the devil in the book of Revelation. Satan comes to Adam and Eve, tempts them to eat the forbidden fruit. And right after that, Adam and Eve are hiding. They're trying to cover themselves. They don't want to walk with God in the garden in the cool of the day. And God comes and he finds them. Just like God comes and finds us. And he clothes them with animal skins And the very first glimpse of the gospel we see is in Genesis 3.15 when he says, I one day am going to crush the serpent's head. Now sure, when Jesus died on the cross, Satan was able like a snake to, in essence, to bite the heel of Christ, but Christ crushed his head. Sometimes people ask, what's the Bible all about? There's different ways to phrase it. We could really summarize the whole Bible in four words. Creation, fall, salvation, and restoration. Creation, fall, salvation, and restoration. So putting that in a timeline order, you've got creation over here. You've got the fall shortly after that. It doesn't tell how long, but sometime after that. And then the whole Old Testament is pointing towards the day of salvation. So then in several thousand years, you have Jesus coming to earth to live the perfect life, to die on the cross as a substitute for our sins, absorbing the judgment we rightfully deserve to rise again, to ascend back into heaven, and to give forgiveness and righteousness and his spirit and eternal life at the moment anyone repents and believes their salvation. And what's all this working towards? The day in the book of Revelation chapters 21 and 22 when he will make all things new. This isn't the end, it's only the beginning. And so as Paul writes this church, it's a little verse. It's just a few words when he says, remember, the God of peace will crush Satan under your feet shortly. It's a Pauline way of saying, see the big picture. Your battle isn't your differences with the person sitting beside you, and your battle isn't even ultimately with the person who wounded you deeply. But our battle is with Satan himself. And when we see the bigger picture, that allows us to forgive. That allows us to move forward with confidence and grace. Because we go, ah, it was never really about that person. It was about Satan trying to ruin my life. It helps to zoom out. In verse 20, he says he's the God of peace. Why would he call God the, the God of peace? Well, we know that's true. But in context, if you're taking notes, this is a theme that's woven throughout the book of Romans. We see it in Romans 1.7, Romans 2.10, Romans 5.1, 8.6, and 15.33. It's the same idea of Colossians 1.20 when he says that Christ made peace through the blood of his cross. I believe God has brought somebody this morning to Bible Center Church and you're looking for peace. You wouldn't know uh, how to say that you want salvation just like I didn't know how to say that I wanted salvation. But maybe you've come this morning looking for peace. And the good news about the gospel is that it's all about your peace. Peace with God and the peace of God. Last week in one of our ABFs, we had a 20 year old young man who may even be here. I've not met him yet. Pastor Tanzi told me that after the the ABF, he approached him about his own lack of peace, his conviction, being under uh, the weight of his sin. And he and Pastor Tanzi prayed, and right here at Bible Center Church last Sunday, a 20-year-old young man said, I want Jesus to be my Savior. I want God's peace. This past week, Pastor Lee and I had a visit by another good friend at the church. He's been coming now for a few months. He gave us permission to share his story. This young man's 27, got a beautiful family. One of his friends or family members started telling him, you've got to watch the services online. And so he did. He started watching them online. He fell under conviction, put his faith in Jesus, and at the end of the service, he prayed the sinner's prayer like we always do. He said, Matt, it wasn't just a prayer for me. I wanted Jesus Christ. He's been here almost every Sunday ever since. He says, I've got to go to that church. I've got to find out what's going on. And this past Friday, he stopped by to visit with Pastor Lee and me and shared us his whole story about how God is at work in his life. One of our ABF leaders is helping he and his family get plugged in. Our children's ministry is helping them get plugged in. And just like those men found the peace of God, you can find the peace of God through Jesus Christ. When you're going through a difficult time, You can remind yourself, I have a bigger enemy. Jesus already won my victory. And then lastly, in number three, there's one more truth of encouragement. You can remind yourself of this. Satan is doomed eternally. Satan is doomed eternally. Verse 20 is a promise. It ends with a prayer. Next week is the final sermon in this series, but it begins with a promise. Verse 20, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. Number three, Satan is doomed eternally. It reminds me of the old Southern Gospel song. How many of you grew up listening to Southern Gospel? Anybody? Anybody left? Okay, a lot of us. Yeah, sure. Remember the old Southern Gospel song, I've read the back of the book and we win yeah, by the cathedrals? I think the Florida boys may have sung that also. I love that song as a kid. I still do. And that's what Paul is saying here. I've read the back of the book. You are going to win this afternoon or in your community group this week. Let me encourage you to read Revelation chapter 20-22, through 22, another great series of verses and paragraphs about the back of the book. And we win. And in verse 20, Paul doesn't just say, God will crush Satan under his feet, under my feet. This is significant. Notice in verse 20, he says, The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. Throughout the New Testament, Paul writes and says that he's put all things under the feet of Jesus. But in this particular instance, because these people were hurting, He doesn't just say, Jesus is going to win the victory. He looks right at them, of course, through the book of Romans, and says, you are going to have Satan under your feet. Now, why would he write that? Back in ancient times, the symbol for victory, when a kingdom would conquer another kingdom, the king would come in after the battle had been fought, or sometime with the battle, doing the fighting, and the king would put his foot on the neck or the head of the other enemy. And often other things would happen after that that I'll not mention uh, because we've got kids in the service. But it was a symbol of conquest. Now, we have our own symbols of conquest, even in modern world. Outside of war and fighting, uh, we have a, the rushing of the field after a football game. I mean, right? Like, why do we do that? Why do, The backyard brawl. Man, I miss the, back, I miss the backyard brawl. After we beat Pitt, we knew that goal was coming down. It doesn't matter what the score was. We were going to rush the field. This past year, WVU beat Baylor, right? Number one Baylor. What did we do? Fine and all. We rushed the court. It was a symbol. It was saying, we are going to be victorious. And God writes to you, the church, and says, you are going to be victorious. I do not want to minimize suffering or minimize your hurt or minimize your abuse. We've talked for now three Sundays about how hard it hurts, whether it be physical or emotional or sexual or just horrible things have happened to some of you. And you've shared some of your stories with me. It even hurts to talk about it. But as your pastor, I have to declare to you that the game is not over. There is coming a day that evil will be defeated, Jesus Christ will be victorious, and you will be vindicated. And that word of encouragement must grip us so that we don't walk around as though we're on the losing side, because we're not. Oh, Lester Roloff, an old pastor, used to sing the song, I'm on the winning side. I'm on the winning side. Sometimes it would do us well to wake up in the morning and to sing, I'm on the winning side. The God of peace will crush Satan under your feet. Shortly, is the way the King James used to translate it, the ESV says, soon. I think it's fitting for us to ask, how could he say soon? He wrote this almost 2,000 years ago. Now it's 2017. Why would he say soon? We're reminded of 2 Peter chapter three and verse eight, that a day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is as but to a day. Imagine a, this imaginary conversation between Paul and Jesus. Again, this is imaginary. Maybe it happens something like this. Paul may ask, oh Lord, how long till this happens? How long till the great enemy Satan is removed and the troubles of the church and the fighting and the division? How long till it comes to an end? Jesus says, it's not for you to know. My father has the time fixed in his secret counsels and he's infinitely wise and infinitely good. Paul may ask, Lord, could it be long? Hundreds or even thousands of years? Jesus may said, and if it were a thousand years, or two thousand, or three thousand, would that be long? A thousand years to me is like a day. Paul may have asked, Well, Lord, how should I then speak of his coming to the church? How can I tell them? What should I say about the second coming? Jesus said, Be true to the way I really am and say what will help people be ready at my coming. They must not think they can presume upon my delay, for if they do, they will drift into patterns of indifference or be snatched away into destruction in a moment. So do you mean, Lord, that I should say that you're coming soon, even though I don't know if it will be soon according to our time? It wouldn't be a mistake to say that? Jesus may have answered, no, it would not be a mistake. Say that. It will cause some to stumble like in many other things that I say. Scoffers will come and ridicule. I know that. But if you, Paul, give the impression that it will not be soon, you will do far more damage to the truth and to the souls of men than if you stay true to my timeless haste and help the people always be ready and full of hope. Imagine Paul asking or answering, Thank you, Lord. I know that it would be love. For, I would love for you to come back while I'm still alive. I would love to be clothed with life rather than death. But come, Lord Jesus, come quickly, but come in your time. And you can hear Jesus answer Paul My dear servant, your desire for me and my quick return is a great honor. I would not want you to desire anything less. Finish this letter to the Romans and pray that those who come after you will have your same desire and until then never forget and don't let the people forget that when I come I will crush Satan under your feet. What's the main encouragement this morning? It's simply this, keep fighting the fight because God has won the war. Keep fighting the fight because God has already won the war. The whole time I've been preaching, you may have noticed a picture frame at the front of the platform. <laughs> they may they forgot to move something. Well, imagine with me for a minute that this picture frame is the only way to see onto the stage. So use your imagination. Picture we build giant walls that reach the ceiling, and the walls match the front lip of this platform. And the only way you can see, hear, or smell, you wouldn't want to smell, my feet are there, but it's it's through this picture frame. Let's pretend that's your only window. But I continue to preach as normal, even though there's a wall here. And, And you might be able to hear some of the message, but you wouldn't get all of it because you don't see the big picture. I could use illustrations and and words on the screen, and you might be able to catch the gist of it, but you wouldn't be able to get all of it because you couldn't see the big picture. It's only when you see everything in view, then can you recognize what's really going on. And Christian, it's only when you can see God's great big picture that you can truly recognize what's going on in your life. Your suffering is so much more than just the hurt that you've experienced. Your suffering is so much more than the consequences that it's left on your life. May I humbly as your pastor ask you to step back this morning and see the big picture i have a bigger enemy but jesus has won my victory and praise god satan is doomed eternally keep fighting the fight because god has won the war let's bow for prayer Our Father, I thank you for what you're doing in the hearts of our people. I pray that you would continue this work as long as we hide our pain, pretend that it doesn't exist. We're not going to heal. It will always just hinder us as a church. We'll get to a spot and won't be able to go any further. I pray you would help us to live like David did, transparently. To grow, to move forward, recognizing we still will be hurt. And there will be times where we even cause the hurt unknowingly. But help us to live for the bigger picture. With heads bowed and eyes closed, maybe God spoken to your heart this morning about your peace. You came looking for peace. Can I invite you right there where you sit to pray to receive Christ? He loves you and took your pain, took your sin on the cross, but rose again to give you new life. There's no set prayer, no magic words in the Bible, but whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Can I invite you to call on the name of the Lord today? He will not disappoint. With heads bowed and eyes closed, as I pray, let me invite you to pray these words with me in your heart. Dear Lord, I know I need a Savior. I've sinned against you and sometimes against others. But I believe you came for broken people like me. I believe you died on the cross for me. I believe you rose again for me. And I ask you now, come into my life, Make me a Christian. Help me to follow Jesus. With heads bowed and eyes closed, let me invite you, encourage you, before you leave, if you prayed that prayer, would you let a pastor know? We won't embarrass you. Reach out to us. Send us a message. Send us a note. Drop a communication tab. Stop by the living room. We'll have pastors, men and women available there. Just let us know, hey, I prayed that prayer today. I'd like to talk more about following Jesus. We'll get back to you this week and love to help you mature in your Christian walk. Christians, let's take a moment, just a minute or so, before we sing this final song. If God has spoken to your heart in some way, you just need to pray, you need to come to the Lord, but you do that right where you sit. Let's take a minute of silence before the Lord, and then we'll close.